what I'll do is a short uh, presentation on the sort of characteristics of carers. Who are we talking about? What is it like? And Marianne will tell you the real story, the much more interesting story. Most of you will know this, but there are around 6 million people in the UK who provide some sort of care to a relative who has a disability or is frail elderly. Of that 6 million, about 2.5 million people do significant amounts of care, 20 hours a week or more. 1.5 million people are doing care round the clock. There's a quite interesting split between men and women. I think it's important that we understand that because at the moment what happens is services are commissioned for a particular type of woman not all women, a particular type of woman, and services are rarely commissioned for men. 42% of carers are male and 58 are women. Of the men, it has quite a different impact on their life. They do it much later, much, much later. They do it when there isn't a woman to do the care. So it's a spouse or it's an elderly relative, but usually only much, much later. So men are often sort of 60, 70 before they start caring. Whereas for women, they're more likely to start caring in their mid-50s which is at their peak working age. So that's a critical bit of our understanding about who are carers. I think we have in this country this sort of static sense of who carers are. They are a group and you are a carer forever. That's your life, that's who you are. What we know is that about 2.3 million people become carers every year and 2.3 million people exit. So today, 6,000 people in the UK will have taken up some form of care. Some of them suddenly round-the-clock care. Some of them much gentler easing into the process of care. The way Carers UK sees it is that caring is an absolutely normal part of life. We would be a sad bunch if we didn't have this as one of our problems to solve. It's absolutely normal. You are getting on with your life and then stuff happens because you are part of families and communities. And when stuff happens, what people want is the state to be on their side, providing quality information and support to help them navigate our horrendously complicated system. So it's all of us, it's not a group over there, so every time you're thinking about how do I, you know, how do I support carers, and if your mind ever wanders to lavender oil and good biscuits, think, is this what I would need if I had lost sleep for the last three nights? Would I want a group that meets at 3.30 every Wednesday afternoon if I'm trying to hold down a, a job and look after my elderly relative? So think, put yourself in the shoes and think, what is it that I need? When carers don't get the support they need, what we see is that there are a whole range of negative impacts. Caring on the whole is a positive part of life. But without the right support, it has a huge negative impact. It has a huge negative impact on people's ability to continue work, particularly women at their peak age of earning. Those women are also less likely to be able to save for their pensions and therefore go into old age in poverty in their own right. It has a huge impact on people's health, physical health and mental well-being. And over time, it also leads to high levels of isolation, which often you'll find former carers who found it very difficult to get back into society. They have been so separated by their years of caring. So as Richard said, carers are absolutely the front line of social care, and you must really never forget this. There are about 1.7 million people who receive services from social services in this country, and I've already told you there are 6 million carers, 2.5 of which are doing significant amount of care. We know from the work that we've done that the contribution that carers make through the care that they give is to the value of around £187 billion every year, bigger than the NHS. 
You wouldn't know that from the sorts of support and services and recognition that carers get, but it's a critical part of the fabric of social care that we really need to make sure that we integrate properly into our thinking about social care. You will have heard lots of speakers this morning talking about our social care system. Our social care system is in crisis. It's in crisis now. It's broken. It doesn't work. That's not to say that the people working in it are not good and doing a really brilliant job because they really are. Many of them going that really extra mile on low pay, on sociable hours and working with very, very different complex groups. What I'm saying about the broken system is that there simply isn't enough choice, there isn't enough quantity of support and it isn't affordable for most families. The chronic underfunding of social care over many years means that the care falls directly onto families and this actually immediately clashes with other government policies around work longer, save more for your pension. And we have to say to our government, you can't have both. You can't have an underfunded social care system and expect people to continue to work well into their 70s. It doesn't stack up and it won't stack up for the future. We need a state that's on our side that understands that most families will want to provide some level of care themselves, but what they don't want is their entire life to go under as a result of that. So we need understanding, we need flexible services, we need hospital appointments that are not around the doctor's needs, but around the family's needs. We need out-of-hours appointments. We need not to have to go to see the optometrist today, the podiatrist tomorrow, the person about your blood the day after. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back and means that on the whole, it's women who fall out of work they say I just can't do this anymore we know that we have 6 million people today providing care in the very near future that will increase to 9 million people unless we do something significant about our social care system we also know that there has been a doubling in the last few years of the number of carers who are providing care for 50 hours a week or more. So right at that heavy end, that has doubled in recent years. I'm sure it's continuing to rise as we speak, with the rising of eligibility criteria now going up in many places to critical or almost critical substantial, very high levels indeed. There's a really interesting crossroads, I think, in social care at the moment, and, and I think it's, it's, it's important that we really grasp these opportunities. You heard some really interesting stuff from the Law Commission this morning, and you also heard from Andrew Dillnod. These give us opportunities to, to modernise our service, to bring in new rights. Certainly the Law Commission's recommendations bring in new rights for carers. I have to say it will feel like an incremental improvement rather than a big change for families, but nevertheless it's important to enshrine those improvements in law. We also know that Andrew Dillnott's uh, recommendations have more than just the funding cap in them. It is about reforming the whole system. And he talks very much about the funding cap being one of the levers to reform the whole system. And we certainly feel that it would make a huge difference to many families if they knew that they weren't going to have to take on these massive catastrophic costs. But I hear from families all the time who say to me things like, Mum's run out of money, she doesn't know, we're picking up the tab. And these are people who are therefore not saving for their own age, and we can't have it every which way. We have to decide what our priorities are going to be. We also have the uh, process of engagement around the white paper coming up, and I've got the task of leading on the quality commissioning and workforce 
stream. So your views would be really appreciated. And there is a website dedicated to it now with a whole series of questions. But if there's other stuff you want to let me know about that doesn't quite fit those questions, please write to me. I'll do what I can about meeting people, but we've got a really short time frame to turn this round in but please let me know what you think quality looks like tell me what we should be changing about our commissioning and tell me what you think about our workforce its limitations and what we could do to really enhance it one final point then is that carers uk uh, convened something called the care and support alliance and that is a, a campaign of around 50 national charities who are really have worked over many years now before the, the last general election really trying to bring together the sector so that we don't allow social care to fall off the political agenda. And every time we get it up there, it slips back down. It has slipped back down again, I can tell you. It is not on anybody's priorities at the moment. Certainly across government, prioritising spend on social care is not there. We all have to work together to make sure that social care becomes a high priority. At the moment, within the Department of Health, it is certainly health, the health and social care bill that has all the puff and there's very little about social care in it, so nobody should get excited about that. So we have to do a lot of work to make sure that social care is high enough on the agenda so that people understand the, the real catastrophic problems we are storing up for ourselves that we could solve with some changing of use of resourcing and some new resources. So as I said, I am leading on the quality part of that. I would really like to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Imelda.